So we start this morning with two seemingly random food disclaimers. And hopefully that will make sense in just a moment. So food disclaimer number one, I am not a nutritionist. Now it's a little odd for me to say that because nobody's ever accused me of being a nutritionist, but I'm sharing that with you because if my opening illustration is not completely scientifically accurate, guess what my response will be? I'm not a nutritionist. I feel covered in saying that now. So here's my second food disclaimer. People who can eat anything and not think about it and not gain any weight, they make me a little bit jealous. I'm not going to lie. One day when I get to heaven, that's the type of metabolism I'm going to ask God for. The kind that can eat like a large pizza and a tub of ice cream and just go to bed like nothing happened. Okay, whatever. So anyway, why am I sharing two food disclaimers? Well, I am going to try my best in the next couple of moments to make a connection between food and satisfaction. So bear with me for just a moment as I set all of this up. I have been monitoring what I eat since the age of nine. And the reason I know it was the age of nine is because that was the first year I played peewee football. I was on the smallest little league out in the city. We were the Mighty Mites. That's an awesome name for a bunch of kids playing football. But the weight limit was 75 pounds. And I weighed in at a husky 77 and a half pounds on the first day. And that, by the way, that's what they called it back in the day is that child's just a little bit husky right there. So... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so from the very first day of practice throughout the rest of the season, at least once a week, the coach would remind the team while looking at me, everybody's got to get weighed in this next week, and if you come in over the limit, you're not going to be able to play. So from the time I was nine years old, I, I just turned 50, 41 years of my life playing sports, doing all sorts of other things related to health and just family genetics. It's been a thing on my mind. I have been on some type of an eating plan, some type of a low-fat, low-calorie, low-taste, low-enjoyment way of eating <laughs> for the vast majority of my life. Now, I can tell you from personal experience, one of the hardest parts of any eating plan, at least initially, is what I would call a general lack of satisfaction after you get done with a meal. Like, this is me. I like feeling full. Amen. <laughs> I, I, I like taste, and I like texture, and I, I, like, I like food. I, I like getting to the end of a meal and thinking to myself, there is nothing else I want to eat right now. I'm good. I'm full. Here it is. I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. When you eat a plate of vegetables and six ounces of protein, you don't have that feeling. I can tell you what you are feeling. Cranky. Hangry, as some might say. You can think of 50 other things in that moment that you want to eat. I'm not even done with the meal, and I'm thinking, what can I eat for a snack? I am not happy. I am not full. Here it is. I'm not satisfied. You get what I'm talking about. All right, so if you've been on this similar train, I can tell you when all of those feelings are intensified. Right after the holidays or right after a vacation, whenever you've not been paying as close of attention to what it is that you're eating. The moment you go back on some type of an eating plan, the next seven to 10 days are just going to be tough. 
They're going to be tough because in the short run, bad food seems to satisfy more. It's tastier. It's more filling. It, it satisfies a lot of those cravings. It's going to be tough because it takes time for the body to catch up and for the right nutrition to make you start to feel a little bit better. But in the meantime, here's what I can tell you. You're thinking about everything that you're not getting while yet to see the rewards and the benefits of eating a healthy way. So here's the reason I bring that up. Mentally, I know eating the wrong things is going to be harmful. Mentally, I know eating the right things is going to lead to better health and better focus and better sleep and a better quality of life. I understand that. It's not a knowledge thing for me. It is a desire thing. Until my desires change, I'm going to struggle with being satisfied with what's best. Here, here's my point. Even the wrong things can bring temporary satisfaction. Now take all of that and let's drop it into a spiritual context for just a moment. Humanity is constantly searching for satisfaction. We look to things in order to fill voids. We, we look to experiences in order to bring about contentment. Many times we look at relationships and look at others as a way of being complete ourselves. And when our desires are skewed, even the wrong things will bring a temporary type of satisfaction. That's the reason why people chase after new relationships and new jobs and new homes and new cars and new careers, often to fill a void that's on the inside. But here's the thing. It might calm the cravings temporarily, but eventually it's not going to satisfy. Augustine was correct when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Scripture teaches that we have been created for a relationship with God, and only that relationship is going to ultimately satisfy. We'll find that we can pursue other things, and it might dull the cravings, dull the desires for a certain period of time. But eventually those things don't satisfy. Eventually there is that hunger, there is that drive, there is that lack of contentment that causes us to keep going forward towards something else. So today as we close our three-part mini-series entitled Share His Story, we're going to study what it means, what it looks like to be satisfied in Him, satisfied in God. A part of sharing God's big story is what we began with on week number one, and that is about speaking his praise. We need to tell people what God has done and tell people how it is that he has been faithful to us. Also, a part of sharing God's big story is stewarding two great parts of God's story. That is the story of God's work in the gospel and the story of God's work in our lives. And we are to steward both. We are to tell people what it is that Jesus did for us on Calvary. And we're also to tell people how the gospel changed us and how it is changing us. It is both and on that side. And there's a final part of sharing God's big story, and that is being satisfied in him. John Piper in 1986 wrote a seminal work entitled Desiring God. And he introduced many Christians to the first question as well as the first answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question was, what is the chief end of man? 
And that first answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Piper helped people understand that glorifying God and enjoying God are not two distinct ends. Rather, it's the same thing. And he made this incredible statement, probably one of the statements that's stuck in my mind more than any other Piper statement I've ever heard. He says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, a huge part of people seeing God for who he is and seeing his glory and appreciating God's character is what happens when believers are living a life that is satisfied in him. That is, when God brings about our ultimate satisfaction, get this, we don't step up from the table of life looking for a snack. We're not looking for something else to make us complete. We're in a place where we don't need the next thing or the next relationship or the next idea or the next experience to make us complete because we are already full and we are already happy. And here it is. And we are already satisfied in him. But here's the thing. Even though every person will ultimately find satisfaction in the same way, It ultimately comes in the presence of God and being rightly related to our creator. Here's what happens. Along the way, we get distracted and we begin to pursue other things to bring about contentment and satisfaction in our life. And unless God begins to point those out, what we find is we never are fully satisfied. We are never genuinely content. And as a result of that, God is not fully being glorified in our life because we're not sharing with others what it is that he has done for us. So we got a lot to cover this morning. We're going to see how it is, according to Scripture, that we can be satisfied in him. We're going to see why that is possible. We're also going to see how it is that we can grow in our joy and our satisfaction of God. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Psalm chapter number 16. We're going to be in verses 10 and 11. Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11. I'm speaking this morning on the subject, satisfied in him. Satisfied in him. Here's what it says in verse number 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand is there are pleasures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your spirit guide us this morning. God, may the words of the Bible come alive. May they jump off the page. May you capture our heart, our, our core of our being with what it looks like to be satisfied in you. God, may we reflect your glory back to you as those who fully appreciate fully enjoy, are 100% satisfied in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you do not see the immediate connection between the text I just read and the topic for this morning of being satisfied in him, do not worry about that. It, It will come in a few moments. The primary part of the connection is actually found in verse number 11. David said, in your presence is fullness of joy, In your right hand are pleasures forever. 
what he's saying in that is nearness of God is the only completely satisfying, fully satisfying experience that we will find within this universe. Here's a concept that you're going to find throughout Scripture. Being in God's presence brings complete joy. And complete joy is ultimate satisfaction. Let me make that connection again. Being in God's presence brings complete joy. And complete joy is ultimate satisfaction. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments. I've experienced them multiple times in my life. Maybe it's in a worship service. Maybe it's in a devotional time. I'm in the word. I'm in prayer. Something like that. And in that moment, the presence of God is so tangible, so right there, so amazing that your prayer becomes, God, I don't want this to end. I want to stay right here. I I, I don't want this to come to an end. Everything I need is right here in this moment. All all of the demands of life, all the pressures, all the busyness, all, all the schedules, those things seem inconsequential because everything you want and everything you need is found in that moment in the presence of God. You know what that is? Fullness of joy. That's what it looks like when somebody is with him and every part of their desire, their their needs are being met within that moment. Fullness of joy is being satisfied in him. And I'm going to show you that in the text in just a few moments. Now, before we go any deeper into Psalm 16, I want us to work through a couple of misunderstandings or mischaracterizations about the idea of joy. Uh, This is an idea that has been twisted and contorted in so many different ways culturally and sometimes even through sermons that we need to make sure that what we're seeing is from a biblically accurate perspective. So I want to quickly define what joy is and what joy is not. So joy is not a level of happiness made available only to perfect people. That's not joy. Apart from Jesus, there are no perfect people in this world. In fact, we do find that according to Philippians 4.4, it tells ordinary people like yourself and me, it tells us that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Even in our imperfections, even with our flaws, we are called to live in a state of joy. Joy is not just a level of happiness available to perfect people. Here's the second thought. Joy is not a feeling you get when everything goes exactly as planned and all your problems fade away. So, like, point number one is joy is not about being, our people being perfect. And point number two is joy is not about life being perfect. Life is not going to be perfect. We live in a fallen world, a broken world. There's sin, there's problems, there's corruption, there's tragedy. And we find that even in that world, James 1-2 says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. James is not saying that we need to ignore the problems and act as though those things do not exist. What he wants people to understand is our joy is not based on circumstances. According to Scripture, joy is found in the presence of God, and God is always with us. So do you know what that means? We always have an opportunity to live in a state of joy. So what is Christian joy? Christian joy is an inward feeling of deep satisfaction and happiness that's produced in us by the Holy Spirit and more fully recognized as we abide in Christ. Let me say that again. Christian joy 
is an inward feeling of deep satisfaction and happiness that is produced in us by the Holy Spirit and more fully recognized as we abide in Christ. Now, I'm going to come back to the first part of that statement in just a moment, but I want to address the middle and the last part of the statement. That, that middle part is joy is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it gives the, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is simply the manifestation of the Spirit's presence in the life of a believer. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Here it is, joy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right on down the line. The second part of the fruit of the Spirit is that of joy. Now, the reason I bring that up is because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is indwelling you. That means every Christian has a measure of joy that is already theirs because of the indwelling Spirit of God. That connection between the Holy Spirit and joy is repeated in other places of Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, Righteousness, peace, and joy is in the Holy Spirit. And here's a final one. Acts 13.52. It says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In other words, there is a connection between the Holy Spirit's presence in the life of a believer and joy in that person's life. Now, here's the last part of that, that phrase, our key statement. That is, this joy is more fully recognized as we abide in Christ. If there are to be a key text, it's going to be John 15. Because in John 15, it picks right up with this fruit analogy and it talks about how it is that God bears fruit through us. And here's what it says in verse number four. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit, there's that word, of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. The only way that there is going to be a production of spiritual fruit, the only way that is going to be happening is as we abide in Christ. So in other words, while the Spirit of God is indwelling that believer, there is joy that's going to come. A part of the way that is being multiplied, a part of the way that is being lived out is the individual is abiding in, staying in, remaining in the presence of Christ. And as they do, he lives his life through us. And a part of that is spiritual fruit that is mentioned with this word joy. So what does Psalm 16 teach us about God's presence, about our joy, and about ultimate satisfaction. And all of this is coming back to the idea of being satisfied in him. Here's your key truth this morning. Those who abide in him are satisfied in him. Those who abide in him are satisfied in him. All right, now let's reverse this. If you are lacking satisfaction, it is an indicator of a lack of abiding. One of the greatest indicators that we are not abiding in Christ is we're still searching for something else to make us complete. If I stopped right there, that's enough for us to walk home with and enough to process for this next week. In other words, every time I am looking for something or someone or some experience or some accomplishment to fill my need, 
What I'm basically saying is I am not abiding in Christ to the point that I recognize him as my sole satisfaction. It comes out of abiding. Now, Psalm 16 is classified as a psalm of confidence that is expressed through joy. There's at least three others. That is Psalm chapter 4, Psalm chapter 5, Psalm chapter 11. And David's joy flows out of two realities. First, he is safe with God in verses 1 and 2 because he is in God's presence. And also, God has been good to him in verses 2 through 8. Now, because of those two realities, David has a confidence now in verse number 9 when he says, Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my flesh will dwell securely. He talks about happiness and he talks about joy and he talks about security. Where is it found? It's in the presence of God. So why is David so confident? He tells us in verse number 10, God will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Then in verse 11, he elaborates more. He says, God will make known to him the path of life, and in God's presence is fullness of joy, and in God's right hand are pleasures forever. Here's what David is saying, and this is beautiful. Again, if you only get this, this is worth getting up this morning. Here it is. David is saying, in life, God preserves him, verse 1, and provides for him, verse 5. In death, God preserves him, verse 10, and provides for him, verse 11. In other words, whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he is happy or whether he is hurting, whether things work out exactly as he hoped or nothing works out at all, our God preserves and he provides for his people. That is reason for constant joy. Now, according to David, he says even when he dies and goes into the grave, he talks about that God will not permit his beloved to undergo decay. That, that phrase, undergo decay, verse number 10, is a metaphor for total isolation or abandonment from God's presence. So he quickly follows it up with a parallel phrase. He says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Then he goes on in verse 11 and says, you will make known to me the path of life. That the path of life is a wisdom phrase that describes the fullness of life that is made available to those who God has given them wisdom. For those who pursue God's presence, he blesses with fullness and wisdom and joy in this life, and he also blesses with completeness and protection and joy in the life to come. That's why we can be completely satisfied in him. This phrase, in your presence, is fullness of joy. Here's what it means. In the presence of God, at the feet of God, when we are before our God, it's not a trickle of happiness. It is not a measure of joy. It's not just enough pleasure to help you get by. He says it's fullness of joy. In fact, listen to this. That phrase, fullness of joy, it literally is translated as satiety of joy. Enough joy to satisfy the most extreme cravings of the human heart. It's found in the presence of God. That's the reason I gave that link at the very beginning. Being in God's presence brings complete joy. Complete joy is ultimate satisfaction. 
And then he finally, he finishes this up by saying, in your right hand are pleasures forever. God's right hand has this inexhaustible, unmerited storehouse of blessings that he desires to bestow upon his people as he sees fit. Now bring all of that goodness back together. In God's presence, we find fullness and wisdom and protection and provision. We find a secure relationship that cannot be parted even by death. There is an inexhaustible storehouse of blessings that God desires to give to his people. Is it any wonder, David says, in your presence is fullness of joy? Here's our key truth again. Those who abide in him are satisfied in him. So now some probing questions. Are you searching for true satisfaction? Are you looking for something else in order to fill a void in your life? Do you feel like your security has been stripped away and your circumstances are robbing you of happiness? Do you long to go to sleep at night with the knowledge everything is going to be all right. For those who abide in him, they're satisfied in him. He alone has the ability to meet each of those needs. The deepest desires of our heart are satisfied in one place, in the presence of God. So, so let me ask it to you like this. Are you trying to find complete satisfaction from your accomplishments? If you are, guess what? Many times you get to the end of an accomplishment and you're like, that was not nearly as great as I thought it was going to be. Are you trying to find complete satisfaction from your kids? Watch out now. Do you know how much pressure you just put on your kids? Are you trying to find complete satisfaction in your career? Careers come and go, and one day we all close our eyes in death. Are you trying to find complete satisfaction in your marriage? Listen, God has brought two into one, but if you're asking your spouse to be what only God can be, you just put pressure on them they can never live under. Are you looking maybe for other relationships to provide complete joy, complete fulfillment, complete satisfaction? That's never how it has been intended by God. There's fullness of joy, the completeness of joy, the full extent of joy that is only found in the presence of God. The longer we think that that new house, that new job, that new uh, move, that new something is going to bring that inner sense of satisfaction, the longer we prolong the fact that we are not being satisfied in him. And here's the thing. If God is most glorified in us, when we are most satisfied in him, how much opportunity are we missing to reflect glory back to our creator? How many opportunities did he put us in along the way where had our satisfaction been coming from our relationship with him, we give an opportunity for God to be more glorified through our life. This is a game changer piece. Because many of the things I just mentioned from relationships, marriage, career, homes, all of those, many of those are blessings that come from the hands of our Heavenly Father that he gives because he loves his kids 
And it's a part of making life more enjoyable. Okay, there, nothing wrong with those things. But, but here's the game changer part. Things can make a satisfied life more enjoyable, but things can never make a dissatisfied life satisfied. Only God can fully satisfy. It's only when he is our ultimate satisfaction, when whenever everything that we're looking for is found in him, it's only in that moment that his name and his praise and his story is going to constantly be on our lips because we talk about the things that mean something to us. You want to test it? Let me throw out a couple of scenarios. When you find a great restaurant in town, what do you do? You tell everybody about it. That's exactly right. When you find out you're going to have a baby or there's a new grandbaby coming into the family, what do you do? You go tell somebody about it. Whenever your favorite sports team maybe wins a tight game or they get into the playoffs or they take home the championship, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find somebody to talk about. Here's another one. What happens whenever you get a bargain, deal of a lifetime down at Target or Kohl's? You're going to go find somebody and say, i got to tell you what just happened to me. Okay, here's my point in this. What do you do when God is answering the prayers of your life? What do you do when he is meeting your deepest needs? What do you do when he is satisfying the greatest longings of your heart? You tell people about it. Humanity is pre-programmed for praise pre-programmed for praise. When something good happens to us, someone is going to hear about it. We are pre-programmed for praise. And all of that is a part of God's design. He has created us for himself. God alone can satisfy our deepest needs. And when we learn to seek him for full satisfaction, here's what happens. When he meets those needs, the immediate thing is praise, praise, praise. Can I tell you what God did? Here's how he answered my prayers. This is what God is doing in my life. The immediate thing is we tell people about it. That's the reason why satisfied in him is a part of sharing his story. But as long as there is something else that is competing for his rightful place of affection in our heart, our loyalties will always be divided. We will get more excited about that deal we got at Target than about the Son of God who set us free. Whenever something else is dazzling us more. We're going to talk about everything other than Jesus because he's still not meeting those needs in the way that we need and desire in our life. Here's the question that God brings me back to constantly in my walk with him. And most of the time he brings us up when I find myself floundering for direction I'm chasing something else because I think that there's deeper happiness, deeper joy, deeper something in that. Here's the question he keeps bringing me back to. When will Jesus be enough? When will Jesus be enough? When will Jesus be my greatest pursuit? Because Jesus alone is my greatest joy. When would Jesus be enough? The follow-up questions that God often walks me through are some of these. What is distracting you from pursuing Christ? 
Is anything getting in the way of pursuing him completely? Where are you searching for satisfaction right now? Things can make a satisfied life more enjoyable, but things can never make a discontented life satisfied. Only God can fully satisfy. So how do we grow in our joy and our satisfaction of God? Five points, and these are fast. Spend time in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. Second is, as a part of regular prayer, ask God to reveal his blessings in your life. This is a part of regular prayer. This is not a one and done thing. This is a regular part of your, ask God to show you the blessings that are in his life. There are so many things that God is bestowing upon his people that we don't thank him for because we're not asking him to show us what it is that he's doing. When you begin to ask him, he is faithful to say, I came through here. I've blessed you with this. This is what you have. This is by my hand. I opened that door for you. I healed that person. I answered this prayer. And before you know it, all of a sudden you're like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise begins to go back up. Number three, thank God for who he is and what he's done for you. Part of this is flowing right out of our point number two. But here's the thing. If you don't already have something like this, I would encourage you to start a journal with at least two sections in it. In the first section, ask the question, who is God or who is Jesus? And then begin to list everything that you find in the word. He is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my comforter. He is my God. He is my healer. He is my provider. Just keep listing and put the passages off to the side. Because if we're to praise him for who he is, we need to know who he is based on what he has revealed in his word. But the second part of that, put in the second part of this journal, is also ask the question, God, how have you blessed me? And begin to write it out. If you begin to write out everything he brings to mind, every answer, every open door, every part, here's what will happen. You will never run out of things to praise God for. And on those days, many times, when you feel like you are right at the edge and you're questioning and the enemy keeps throwing in seeds of doubt, like, is God real? Is he there? You open that journal back up and say, I know my God is here. Here's who he is. This is what he has done. I praise him for that. Make that a part of your spiritual discipline. Number four, ask God to prompt you when you're pursuing other things to bring satisfaction. If, if he stops us early and says, that's not me, then there at least there's an opportunity to save some time pursuing the wrong thing. When we are faithful to ask God, am I pursuing something else for satisfaction? God is faithful to answer. And number five, constantly share his goodness with others. Here's a wonderful thought. Satisfied Christians make much of Jesus. It just works out that way. You find those people who can't stop talking about Jesus, what you're looking at is a satisfied customer. You're looking at somebody who's saying, like, I can tell you from personal experience, this is what Jesus has done for me. All of that is a part of what it looks like to grow in our joy and our satisfaction of him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So is there anything that's getting in the way of you seeing the full satisfaction that only comes through Christ? 
I'm going to ask you if you would, just bow your heads for a moment as we close out. Heads bowed, eyes closed. There might be people in the room right now that you have been searching and searching from religion to morality to jobs to changes of, of address to new relationships to bigger accomplishments. You're pursuing everything in order to find a type of satisfaction and contentment. And you've, you've been struggling because it's not there. I cannot encourage you enough if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ to fully hear and be willing to think about his claims. According to Scripture, humanity, you and I, all of us, were created for a relationship with God. Our sin has separated us from that relationship. There's nothing that we could ever do to make things right ourselves. But Jesus did for us what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the dead three days later that we might have life. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus. For a person who does not yet know Christ, that is the first step. That, that moment of placing faith in what Jesus has done for you, that is the first step in a person even understanding the fullness of your created purpose. But that's also the needed step for a person to find true satisfaction, genuine contentment in Christ. God gives us many blessings in this world. And those blessings can make a satisfied life more enjoyable. But they cannot make a discontented life satisfied. It only comes through Jesus. In his presence is fullness of joy. There might be believers in the room right now. You, you know without a doubt that you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Christ. You know that. But you find yourself in this ongoing cycle of chasing something else because even though you know theoretically that ultimate satisfaction comes from God alone, in the moment, even the wrong things seem to temporarily satisfy. If that's you, I cannot encourage you enough to come and bring that back before God and say, God, I lay all of my substitutes at your feet right now. I lay the relationships before you. I lay my life, my future, my desires before you. Would you remind me over and over of the necessity of abiding in Christ? God, would you fully satisfy? The heart of a believer who desires that will always meet with the joy of a Savior who is willing to provide it. There might be people right now, you're looking for a church home. There might be some that are just going through hard times and they're looking for somebody who'd be willing to pray for them. There's gonna be some of our pastors and some of the pastor's wives will be at the front. There'll be some of the counselors along the front. In just a moment, I'm gonna have a final word of prayer and then there's gonna be a final song that is sung. 
And I'm going to encourage people at that time that however God is working in your life, would you respond to him? If you need to come and talk to somebody about what it looks like to have a relationship with God, I'm going to encourage you, make today that day. Don't keep chasing God's substitutes. Make today that day. It might be that you need prayer, but you're scared to death about getting up and asking somebody for prayer. Let me just tell you. There is going to be people here who want to pray with you. All you got to do is say, this is my need, and they will take it from there. Whatever it is that God is burdening in your heart today, I cannot encourage you enough. Respond to him. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may we be those who are fully satisfied in you. I pray today, God, that if there's any in this room who do not yet know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, may the conviction of your spirit be upon their hearts. May they know at the core of their being that that is missing, and today is the day to make it right. Lord, give them the courage to be able to stand up and to talk to somebody and say, this is what I need. For those who are having God's substitutes right now, and I know I battle the same thing, Lord, I pray that we would lay it all down before you and you alone, God would be the one to satisfy. May you work in your people as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand, we're going to sing. There's already people at the altar right now. I'm going to encourage you to respond as God is prompting you.